Our next reading comes from 1 Samuel chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. When the soldiers returned to camp, the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, What's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. Oh no, nothing like this has happened before. We are doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Be strong, Philistines. Be men, or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The Ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. That same day, a Benjamite ran to the battle line Sorry, ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he arrived, there was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road, watching, because his heart feared that the ark of God, sorry, feared for the ark of God. When the men entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town sent up a cry. Eli heard the cry and asked, what is the meaning of this uproar? The men hurried over to Eli, who was 98 years old and whose eyes had failed so that he could not see. He told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. Eli asked, what happened, my son? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines. The army has suffered heavy losses. Also your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the Ark of God has been captured. When he mentioned the Ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died, for he was an old man and he was heavy. He had led Israel 40 years. 
His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labour and gave birth, but was overcome by her labour pains. As she was dying, the women attending her said, Don't despair, you have given birth to a son. But she did not respond or pay any attention. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, The glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Morning, everyone. Good to see you all here today. And those listening online or on uh, live broadcast, welcome to the uh, 10 o'clock service and to our examination of chapter 4 of 1 Samuel. Before I start, let me pray. Lord, thank you for this time that you've given us to open your word and discover who you are. Thank you that you don't leave us in the dark about who you are and what you are doing in our world. We thank you that you've revealed yourself and your will through your word, the Bible, and through your Son. Give us wisdom as we read your word. Help us to faithfully discern the truth of the text and help us not to rely on our own understanding. Thank you, God, for the clarity, encouragement and hope that your word brings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> My name is Yahweh. When I spoke, I created the world. When I spoke, I created the trees and the seas and the mountains and the hills. When I spoke, I created life. When I spoke, I created mankind. This is my world and it's living according to my plan. And woe betide anyone who tries to stand in the way. Now, I'm not Yahweh, obviously, but you could imagine that if Yahweh was to speak to his world, that he would take the high ground because it's his. He is the glorious one. He is the powerful one. He is the one who was always present, the one who is all-knowing, all all-seeing, all-loving. He is the one who created the world. And Yahweh said, this is my scripture. This is my word. I have spoken and now it has been written down. What you see here is Yahweh's word. And he has engaged a lot of people to tell forth his word, to speak his word to his people. He's engaged Moses, Joshua, Nehemiah, Ezra, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, Amos, Jonah, Micah. Jonah was a little bit recalcitrant, but he still towed the line. And after he revealed himself in his son, he engaged Peter, James and John, the 12, plus the others, and Luke and Paul. And those people are witnesses to his word. 
Perhaps 1 and 2 Samuel ought to be renamed Yahweh 1, Yahweh 2 or something like that. Because he uses Samuel as his spokesperson to his people Israel. You see, in the history of Israel at this point, they've gone off the rails. They're following other gods. They hold the name of God, but they take no notice of what their obligations are to him. As we've been reading through 1, 2 and 3 Samuel, we can see that this young man is coming forward and he is responding to God's call. And he's now going to be a person who takes over the responsibility of being the chief priest, a chief prophet of God's word. He's been an apprentice to a guy called Eli, but Eli's power as a priest has waned. One of the big problems that Eli has got, he's got two recalcitrant sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Nobody here is ever going to call anybody Hophni or Phinehas after listening to what we've been listening to in Samuel, I'm sure. They're doing their own thing. God has called his judgment upon them in chapter 2 of, uh, of 1 Samuel. And in the, in the section that we're going to be reading today, we're going to see the working out of that judgment, amongst other things. Let's just recap something of what we've learned in chapter 1, 2 and 3. We learned in chapter 1 that God cares for us. He cares for Hannah. Hannah was a barren person, could not conceive. Her uh, sister-in-law was giving her grief. When she brought the matter before, before Eli and brought the matter before God, God honoured her. He looked after her and gave her a son under a promise. Not only that, she had more children afterwards. Chapter 2, we learn that God lifts up people like Hannah who are obedient and he harshly judges those who are corrupt and do the wrong thing. In chapter 3, we're introduced to the spoken and written word of the Lord as he calls Samuel to be his, uh, his prophet, to deliver his word. He's broken his silence and he's now engaging Israel, but what he sees, he doesn't like. We also had a bit of a brief look at scripture for this chief priest, this, uh, this person that, that God is going to raise up. And we see that further on in history, that person is God's incarnate word, Jesus. Because in the past, God spoke through prophets, his word, but now through his son. <clears throat> Today, we're beginning a mini-series. Um, those of you who understand what a mini-series is from, from television land, it's a three-part series. We're looking at chapters 4, 5 and 6 of 1 Samuel, one week after the other. So if you want to stick around to find out what happens, you have to come three weeks in a row, okay? It's important. And it's all to do with the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what image comes into your mind when you hear the, wor the words Ark of the Covenant? Hands up those people who immediately go to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, right, okay, yeah, it's not like that. <laughs> All right. It's not a magic box. It's a gold-plated box that has the tablets of the Ten Commandments in them. The ones that Moses got from Sinai. Remember those? He got tablets off the cloud and put them in the... Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a symbol of God's um, relationship with his people. Okay. It's not a magic 
magic thing like it's portrayed in the, in the movie. Um, now, we've got some important players in this. We've got Samuel in this, in this uh, chapter. We've got um, the Philistines and the Israelites. So there's three of those there. And a bit later on, we, we have um, uh, Eli, but he gets, he gets it in the end as we read. But the main, main characters here uh, are Samuel and um, the, the Philistines and Israel. Now, as we're talking through this, I want you to try and work out who you identify with, whether you identify with Samuel, whether you identify with Israel, or whether you identify with the Philistines, okay? Um, and we'll check that out at the end. Okay, Samuel. Samuel has a very small part to play in chapter 4. No part to play in chapter 5, no part to play in chapter 6, and, and he starts talking again in chapter 7. So why is he an important character? He's an important character because of this. I go back to chapter 3, verse 21. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's words came to all Israel. So what Samuel is, is doing, he is telling Israel the words of the Lord. He is proclaiming them to Israel. They're the word from that's his job. That's what prophets do. They get God's word and they proclaim it to the people that the target audience, if you like. So that's what's happening. That's the background to all of this. And in chapter chapter three, verse eleven, we hear that God's about to do a great thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone will tingle. Now, do you have a problem with what I've just said? He's going to do something that will make people's ears tingle. Bit odd, isn't it? Do something, make ears tingle. Generally, ears tingle from some sort of sound or vibration, don't they? But he's actually going to do something to make ears tingle. Has, have your ears ever tingled when someone's done something? No? They probably have. Let me explain. Um, in, in the earlier service, Dr. Michael Kane was there, so he understood exactly what I was saying. Now, <clears throat> our bodies are designed in such a way that when we're under stress or embarrassment or shame or whatever, our adrenaline works, okay? And it works in other situations as well. That adrenaline has, has a couple of, makes a couple, does a couple of things. One of the things that it does, it actually makes, increases the blood flow to your ears, right? If you've got long hair, you can't see what's going on, but if you've got shorter hair like Michael's got and I've got, you can see the ears quite clearly. They actually go red. Have you ever noticed that people, when they get angry, their ears go red? Or people, when they're, when they're embarrassed, their ears go red? Or their face goes red? What's happening there is the capillaries in the, in the body are actually um, sending blood there because of the adrenaline. So what's going to happen to the Israelites, do you think? They're going to be ashamed by God's word and they're going to be embarrassed by what they've not done because they're hearing God's word. That's what he's talking about here. That's the sense of the word tingle. Okay, you've had your anatomy lesson for today. Um, <clears throat> now the word that came to Samuel, as we, as we just read, is a powerful word from a powerful God. And it will make the ears of everyone tingle. Um, this is the word of God that we're about to see unfolding in this story, in this three-part story. The word came to Samuel and he spoke it to Israel. 
Now, we just sang a song, not coincidentally, deliberately. The God we're talking about is a big God. He's strong and he's mighty and there's nothing he can't do. We're talking about a God who made the mountains, made the rivers and all of the, all of the things that are in our world and he sustains our world. He is strong and he is mighty. The words of a children's song can sometimes bring out with absolute clarity an understanding of God. Do you find that sometimes when you, when you hear children's songs, all of the detail, all of the complexity of, of ideas or, or things about God go away? They just melt. Because I think children's songs really tell it as it is. Don't you reckon, Dave? It, it just really nails it. And I find that plain, simple words like that help us to remember and understand. And I'm sure you can think of other children's songs about God that, will, that describe who he is, describe his mightiness, describe his power. He has unlimited power, he knows everything, and he's present everywhere all the time. And that just blows my mind. There's nothing that God cannot do. The other group that we're looking at is the Philistines. What do we know about the Philistines? Well, they're a tribe. They've got a number of gods. They, they take a bit each way. They just don't have one. So they, they worship a number of them. They live in the country against the um, Mediterranean Sea. So on their uh, western border is the Mediterranean Sea. On their eastern border is the Israelite country. And the Israelites have the, have the reverse, okay? Now, they both came into that land around about the same time. And they were forever warring with each other about territory. They wanted, they wanted a bit, uh, the Philistines wanted a bit more of Israelite territory, Israel's wanted a bit more, and it's still going on today, as, as you can probably uh, guess from our um, uh, news broadcasts and the like. So they're about to uh, enter into a battle. Now, we're not sure who started this particular battle, or whether it was started by the Philistines or the Israelites, but we do get a bit of a clue, because they, they encamped at a place, place called, um, uh, where are they? Afek, okay? And Afek is actually in the Israelite territory. So it's like somebody in, in, in uh, the country who's put their cows in your paddock and said, well, I own this little bit of land or I'd like to have this bit. So they're actually in, in their neighbour's territory. And uh, the battle is just about to, about to start and Israel obviously wants to hang on to its territory. So they have a battle. And what happens? Israel is defeated. 3,000 people lose their lives. So what's going on here? Israel are a bit flummoxed by this whole thing. They're, they're taken aback. This is not normal for them. Let's, let's think about what God has done for his people. He has saved them from famine, moved them into Egypt, and while they were in Egypt, they prospered. And then when they needed to come out of Egypt, he took them out of Egypt, defeated the Egyptian army. So, so far, Israel won, Egypt nil. There are, there, there are people that God has given promises to, and they're, they're living on those promises. And those promises are now a bit shaky because they've, they've just been defeated by the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were nowhere near as, as powerful as Egypt. And God defeated them. So what's going through the minds of the Israelites at this time? We've just been defeated. The Philistines think it's great. 
You know, we've knocked these guys over. They, they had, a, they had a, a pretty powerful ally in God. So what's happening? So the Israelites are doing a process of self-examination. They're saying, what's wrong? What's happened here? What, what are we doing? I know. Let's go and get the ark, right? Because that's God. We take him with us into battle. Yeah, that'll be right. We'll be right. We'll get that one sorted. Okay, Phineas, Hophni, bring it in. So they've got the two guys who are the priests who are ripping off the church, ripping off the, ripping off the, um, the people. They're getting the best, the best food out of all the sacrifices. They are feathering their own nests. They have no regard for God. And so the Israelite elders, pretty clue of people, get, get the two crooks to bring the ark into the battle. Okay, we'll, we'll be sort, sorted now because we've got God on our side. What's gone wrong here? What's gone wrong? The Israelites are relying on their own understanding as to how to fight the battle. They've not made any reference to God at all. The God who is all-powerful, who is guiding them, no reference. No, we'll just take the, um, the gold box with the tablets and we'll take it into battle. That should sort it. What happens? <clears throat> the Israelites, when they see the ark come in, go, you beauty! They give a great shout. The shout so loud that the Philistines hear it way over in Aphek. And they're trembling. They're thinking, oh no, what's happened now? They've got new allies or whatever. And they get a bit worried about this because they've heard the stories about how God has been good to the, good to the Israelites. Okay. Israel are now buoyed. They're ready to go into battle of the Philistines. The Philistines are saying, well, let's gird our loins, as you do, tighten our belts, be brave, be strong, let's, let's, um, let's go into battle. And what happens? The, Isra the, the Israelites are defeated and all those 30,000 are, um, are killed. They've blown it. Not only that, the ark's been taken. So their secret weapon, if you like, their, their presence of God has now been taken out of Shiloh and it's now in Philistia. The Philistines have got it. Philistines think it's great. We've knocked over the Israelites, we've knocked over the, uh, the um, uh, won the battle and we've also got the ark. Tick. What's going on here? Think about who the Israelites are. I ask you to think about which camp you're in. The Philistines, uh, Philistines, for example, they're a warring people. They've got multiple gods. They don't believe in God. They're pagans to all intents and purposes. The Israelites believe in God, um, obviously believe in superstition, because if they took the ark with them, that's a superstitious act. Can you think of any other superstitious religious acts that, that, that people engage in to uh, feel as if they're safe? A um, couple that come to mind, uh, hanging things off a rear view mirror um, to protect you in your vehicle, um, perhaps uh, having, having uh, particular icons or statues and things like that in your own house as, as a means of protection, um, seeing objects as lucky charms and the like. In a way, the Israelites were thinking of the Ark of the Covenant as a lucky charm, a religious Lucky charm, no, no less. A God-given lucky charm, 
but nevertheless, not God. So here we are. Here we are in the situation where the Israelites have lost the ark, have lost the battle. The Philistines, on the other hand, have got the ark and have won the battle. What's going to happen next? Well, obviously, God is in control of all of this. And he is, um, his aim is to get the Israelites back on the path of respect and worship of God rather than their own thing. So he has caused this action to happen in order to put Israel back on the, on the, on the right track. You remember in chapter 2, there was a, a prophecy by a man of God that Phineas and Hophni would die on the same day. Well, that's what happened. The irony of the whole thing is, is that the, the two rep, rep, reprehensible priests who took no notice of God brought the ark in and in that process were put right into the field of battle and lost their lives. We then hear of a, a fellow, we don't know his name, a Benjaminite from the tribe of Benjamin going to Eli, who was from the tribe of Levi, and saying to Eli, your sons are dead and the ark has been captured. Now we're told that Eli was an old man, he was blind and heavy and when he heard the news, he fell backwards, broke his neck and died, thereby fulfilling the prophecy that we read about earlier in Samuel. At the end of the passage, we hear about Phineas's wife, the daughter-in-law of Eli, who at this point is pregnant. And she go, when she hears the news, she goes into labour. And during that labour, we read that she is dying and she names her son Ichabod, saying that the glory has departed from Israel. She's probably voicing what most Israelites would have thought at the time. They've lost the war, the battle. They've lost the ark. They've lost dignity probably as well. They've lost people. How low must they feel at this point in time? You know, God needs to bring people low sometimes in order for them to realise the gravity of the situation that they're in. If he doesn't bring them low, they might go on as if nothing had happened. A lot of people in this world do that. A lot of people in this world have no regard for God and just continue with life as it is. Chasing their own dreams, fulfilling their own plans. Some people in this world believe that there is a God, but actually are not very serious about that. They don't take him seriously. He's a bit like the I'll contact you when I need you type of relationship. If I want something, I'll, um, I'll ask. But, after, but while things are going well, I'll, I'll just leave you alone and continue on my way. A bit like the Israelites. They wanted to uh, 
have a token of God in, the, in their midst, but weren't interested in the responsibilities that they had to God. They had other gods. They had their own agendas to look after. They weren't interested. Um, I work for a, a company <clears throat> that's a building construction company, and a, about four years ago, my boss said to me that I've just put in for a contract for building construction and maintenance with the local council. And the decision as to whether I get the contract or not comes up tonight at the council meeting. Would you pray for me? You're a Christian man. Would you pray for me that I get the contract? You see what he's doing? Um, I said, yeah, sure. I'll pray for him. But it's bothered me ever since and I've raised it in my Bible study group with the guys numerous times. Um, What he was doing was engaging God on his agenda to get God on board with him. He's a good bloke, nice fella. Why wouldn't God help him to get his contract? Sometimes we try and manipulate God into our plan rather than listen to what he has to say to us. You see, living life is not about getting God to follow our plans but to live according to the plans that he has for us and listen to his word. We'll see as the story goes on. Next week, Bob's going to be preaching, uh, Bob Pickworth. And uh, you will see what happens to the... Philistines thought they'd got a real prize with the ark, but they really find out that it's a poison chalice to them because God's big plan for what's going on here is to sort Israel out so that they're in relationship with him, to sort out the Philistines as a side, as a side issue. He deals with their gods pretty harshly to bring, and to bring Israel back on board um, as his people. So he's got the big picture. He's got the understanding. And then Samuel comes back on the scene again uh, towards the end of the story in uh, the beginning of chapter 7 where he's, he gets them to voice their repentance to God and to um, agree to follow him. So it's a big story. The Bible's a big story. This is a small part of the story and we're in a mini-series within that story. But they're all tied together. They all, they're all about the powerful God whose world this is and whose world he, he is sustaining and, uh, and his people who are responding to him. And Samuel is a major player in this little mini-series because he, guide, he is the one that God uses to guide his people back to him. Uh, and you'll see as we continue in Samuel how important that is. Let me pray to finish. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we've often gone our own way. And we've rejected your will for our lives. We're sorry for our sins and we turn away from them. For the sake of your son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to please you in every way. For the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.